put them up by four. Start a party in the garden, hit me up back door. Tell them welcome to the east where his handles abroad. We conference nonsense, fighting LeBron. Hardwood when the Rockets hand out cards. Defense when the clock kills, no shots off. Hey guys, welcome back to the Celtics Pulse podcast. It's your boy Adam at Celtics Pulse. I'm Brendan at NBA Distributor. I am Blake at BlakeFire97. And we've got a guest joining us today from the Boston Herald Radio, if you'd like to say hello. Yes. Hello, everybody. It's John Sapachetti. You can follow me at jsap25 on Twitter. So, Sap, before we get started going into, like, uh, we want to touch on the SI Top 100 today, but uh, we'll mm-hmm. start off with, you run a radio show for the Boston Herald. Um, what sort of special guests have you had on in the last few months? Sure. Well, what we basically do, guys, is from one to three every day on bostonheraldradio.com, we do a sports show. We tie in a little politics every now and then. We have writers from throughout the different sports covering the teams for the Boston Herald, even some national writers. Um, you know, we have the folks that cover the Celtics for the Herald, like Steve Bullpet on all of the time, Steve Buckley, our columnist. Uh, it's difficult to get players to come on between one and three in the afternoon, obviously, but I get to attend games. Uh, do some video work at the Celtics games. You can see that also on bostonherald.com. Uh, do that with the Bruins as well. So, you know, we kind of touch a little bit of everything there. Uh, it's always good discussion because I'm kind of the outsider because I'm a big LeBron James fan. and Being a big LeBron James fan in Boston can be certainly interesting. How did you come to being a LeBron fan? Because everybody hates him. I, I've got to be the <laughs> ultimate contrarian. I'm like, I th- first of all, I think he is the most gifted player I've ever seen. I'm in my mid-50s, so I saw Michael Jordan, Larry Bird, Magic Johnson. I think he is the most gifted player, the most well-rounded player that the sport's ever produced. Now, you can have that debate if he's greater than Michael Jordan or not. That's a completely different debate. I think that LeBron James can do more on the court than Michael Jordan. Uh, the debate really being, I, I get that Jordan has six titles and LeBron has three but Jordan never faced the competition that LeBron did in the finals, playing these teams in Gold State and San Antonio uh, were difficult matchups for LeBron James and his teams. But I, first of all, I think the guy is, is, is spectacular to watch on the court, but I also love what he does off the court, how much he has put back into the community, spending a ton of money, close to $100 million he's committed to the next 10 to 15 years on education in the Northeast Ohio area. So all that stuff I think is is absolutely fantastic. And it just seems that there's a lot of hatred towards the guy who's never really done anything wrong, other than people bringing up the decision, which, by the way, raised a lot of money for the Girls and Boys Club um, when he made that announcement eight years ago. Yeah, there's no denying the greatness of LeBron, and I get where you're coming from, but as a Celtics fan, of course, I got a little bit of hatred sure. towards him for knocking me well, out year it. after year. But I, I can definitely it. appreciate the game, and I uh, like him a lot more than I did when he was in Miami. It was more of a villain role then, it mm-hmm. felt like. Uh, but I can definitely appreciate some LeBron James, even if I hate him every night if I see him on the court. Sure, and the, the strange thing is with Celtic fans is that there's no hatred to Michael Jordan because there was really no rivalry when Jordan was young. The Celtics were dominant. They knocked him out of the playoffs a couple times. And then when the Bulls got really good and started winning titles, the Celtics weren't good. So there was no natural rival with Michael Jordan if you're a Celtic fan. There was with Magic Johnson. It was ultimate respect, but you only faced him three times in the playoffs. With LeBron, it's every year, and every year he's beating you. So I get that you know he's been in the way of the Celtics getting to the NBA Finals the last two years. Uh, I think that's going to change this year. Obviously, LeBron's in the Western Conference, and I think the Celtics are the team to beat in the East. But I can get why Celtic fans you, you know, look at LeBron James as the guy that gets in the way 
of them reaching their ultimate goal. But uh, now that he's in the Western Conference, maybe Celtic fans can love him a little bit. <laughs> so I take it that LeBron is your number one player in the league right now. How Absolutely. close is number two, which I would assume is KD? Yeah, Kevin Durant, I think, is the second best player in the league. And look, when you break down their game, Kevin Durant is one of the most unstoppable scorers I've ever seen. We're talking about someone who's nearly seven feet tall, who can shoot from 35 feet, has a mid-range game, can finish at the bucket, can post up. Um, he may be the most indefensible offensive player that we've seen in, I don't know, 20, 25 years. In some sense, I think he's even tougher to mark than Michael Jordan because of his sheer size, and he's a better deep-range shooter than Michael Jordan. But I put Durant number two. He's not the passer that LeBron James is. I don't even think that's close. LeBron's a better rebounder. As a defender, I think Durant's kind of equaled LeBron as a defender. We saw LeBron last year. He wasn't quite the defender he'd been in the past. But sure, Durant, I think, is is the clear number two. I I don't even think it's a debate. It's like debating, you know, who's the best quarterback in the NFL. It's either Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers, or in my case, I think it's Aaron Rodgers over Tom Brady. But those are the two guys that I think are, are clearly the best in their sport in football and in basketball as well. And, and I always put Steph Curry at number three um, in that, that top ten because I really believe that Steph Curry, it's still his team in Golden State, and he's the ultimate yeah. force multiplier. Just him being on the court opens up things for everyone, and including Kevin Durant, Clay Thompson, and all those great players. So I think the top three is pretty much etched in stone with LeBron, Kevin Durant, Steph Curry. Then I think the debate starts from four through ten at that point. Yeah, and they're all like a certain tier of players. I, I was listening to a podcast by John Corrales and um, Jay King the other day where they were saying, in the top ten, it's just a certain tier of guys. And then... <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I mean, it'd be, you can have those tiers, right? So you get LeBron. It's almost like a pyramid, right? You get LeBron at one, KD and Curry at two and three, and then there's probably three more players in that level as well. I think Anthony Davis is certainly in the discussion. Um, Kawhi Leonard, if healthy, Giannis. Those would probably be my next three players. I know Russell Westbrook and James Harden have won the last two MVPs, and they put up a lot of numbers. Uh, Westbrook sometimes is frustrating for me to watch because – He's a point guard. He's a lead guard. He plays his butt off, but I, I also don't think he plays well with teammates. And he sometimes seems to be doing too much work out there. Whereas Steph Curry, you can see he kind of gets out of the way and lets KD take over. I think that was a problem in Oklahoma City where, you know, that Westbrook still wanted to be the guy. Uh, Harden, we saw what happened in the playoffs last year. I was more impressed with Chris Paul in the playoffs last year than James Harden. Uh, he's ball dominant, and you know, again, I think he can be frustrating to watch, but certainly he's a top ten player. You don't put up those types of numbers, but uh, Giannis is the player that's really you know edging up, and and at some point in three years, we may be having a discussion and saying that Giannis is the best player in the league if he can learn how to shoot uh, and extend his perimeter game. What else doesn't he do? He could be the top guy in, in say three, four years when LeBron's ready to kind of you know peel back a little bit. Yeah, I think Giannis and AD both have the potential to eventually mm-hmm. reach that number one spot up there. Uh, but Absolutely. talking Celtics a little bit, uh, I know Sports or Sports Illustrated, sorry, ranked Al Horford as their best player. Uh, what do you think, like tier wise, is Kyrie number one, and how close is he to that third tier of guys you were talking about? Sure. In my top ten, I had Kyrie at number ten. 
I, I think Kyrie Irving is one of the 10 best players in the world. Look, the, the guy is unstoppable. He can beat you with threes. He has a mid-range game, and he also finished at the basket probably better than any small man I've ever seen because he can use either hand. Uh, I think he's become a better defender, a much better defender now in the Brad Stevens, absolutely. And he's, he's a guy who, who can get you six assists per game as well. So I think that Kyrie Irving is certainly – I would put him at number 10. I don't understand how they put Al Horford above <laughs> Kyrie Irving. I think if I was ranking the Celtics, it would be Kyrie number one, a healthy Gordon Hayward number two, then Al Horford number three. And, and Horford, to me, is a wonderful player. If you watch basketball a lot, which all of us do, we really appreciate the subtlety he's in his game. He's kind of a poor man's Tim Duncan, or maybe a very poor man's Tim Duncan, and that's a compliment. He just does everything well. He's never going to lose a game for you, but there's times where he disappears. We saw that in the postseason last year where it'd be pockets of the game where you'd say, where's Al Horford? Um, so, yeah, Kyrie to me is, is certainly the best Celtics player, uh, followed by a healthy Gordon Hayward. So imagine having those two guys healthy this year, how much this team could do. But I, I put Kyrie at number 10, I think, just behind players like Chris Paul, Westbrook, Harden. And there's times watching him, I enjoy watching him more than Harden and Westbrook because the guy is in complete control of what he's doing out there. Sometimes Westbrook and Harden seem out of control, but their sheer numbers are, are tough to argue against. But for, for certain, I think Kyrie's a top 10 player and certainly the best player on the Boston Celtics. Yeah, I think it'd be tough to argue with that. So I definitely would agree with that. I think, like you said, Hayward has the potential to overtake that spot. He was mm -hmm. putting up 20 points a game in Utah, which was the slowest offense in the league at the time. Right. Um, do you, what type of hesitation do you think that you see from Hayward coming back from such like a gruesome injury? I know it's been a while. I think there might even be a worry that he's trying to jump into things too quickly. Uh, yeah, so just how do you think he kind of recovers from that injury? Do we maybe cut sometimes when we want Baines to start for matchup wise, is he the one that comes off the bench as you sort of slowly work him back in? They're so versatile at that spot, guys. I mean, the way the NBA is now is there's smalls, there's bigs, and there's wings. And you look at the Celtics, and they're loaded at the wing position, right? Because you've got Gordon Hayward, Jalen Brown, and Jason Tatum. I mean, you've got three top-tier players there. We know what Tatum did in his rookie year, and Brown got better in his second year. So you don't have to tax those players all that much. They can be limited to maybe 30, 32 minutes. Um, I think that Brad Stevens, you can have – pockets in the schedule where you give Gordon Hayward a night or two off. He shouldn't be playing 82 games. The hesitation is probably going to be more mental than physical. Um, you know, that's the part you see with players coming back from injury. You remember when Paul George had that gruesome injury, you know, it took him a little more than a year to really be back to being Paul George. And I think it's more mental than physical. Same thing with Gordon Hayward. And, and again, Gordon Hayward is a guy who is an extremely gifted athlete. He's not a player that just plays on the ground. Uh, he got hurt on an alley-oop. So part of his game is above the rim. He's 6'8". He's a good defender. He can take the ball to the basket. So there's going to be plays like that in the future where he's taking it to the basket. He doesn't want to be hesitant, finish strong, dunk the basketball. I think it's going to be more mental that he has to get through those roadblocks. And then there's going to be a point where he goes down. And if he goes down and gets up and feels healthy, I think maybe he kind of cracks through. Uh, you know, the football analogy would be go back nine years, uh, ten years when Tom Brady hurt his knee against the Kansas City Chiefs in game one of the 2008 season, was out the entire season. 
he wasn't quite Tom Brady in 2009. It took him an entire year to get back to the level that he had been at before, and then he won the MVP in 2010. I don't know if it would be that extreme for Gordon Hayward. You know, He's not a quarterback. It doesn't all fall on him. But I think there will be some growing pains to get back to being that really good player that he was at Utah, an all-star in the Western Conference, and certainly I think a top 20, 25 player in this league. Yeah, and the SI report even did have the disclaimer saying if he'd been healthy through that season and mm-hmm. if we knew, then they would have had him higher anyway. But you don't know how he's going to go. He could relapse at the start of the season, God forbid. Yeah, I mean, that, that's a big question. And again, I think Brad Stevens, who's, who's very careful with his players, and again, you look at the depth on that team, that you know, if he's not quite ready for the beginning of the season, it's not the end of the world. As you said, they have Baines and Horford starting with Tatum, Brown, and Kyrie Irving. And then you have still Marcus Smart, Marcus Morris, Terry Rozier, and Daniel Tice coming off the bench. If, if you need to wait a week or two or even a month to get Gordon Hayward up to speed, then do it to make sure that he's at his best when you get to the postseason. Because when you get to the postseason, if you add him to that roster playing at an all-star level, I think you have the NBA favorites right there, and that includes the Golden State Warriors because I think they're a team, the Celtics, that can match up with Golden State very favorably. It, it feels like Brad's got the Warriors quite sussed. I mean, they always perform well at the Oracle. Mm-hmm. Oracle is just a thing to behold. And they, they play well at the, the Garden against them as well. So it does feel like if it was a, a playoff finals versus Boston versus Golden State, that it would be a lot more even than what NBA Twitter would have you believe. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Because you, the way to bring down the Golden State Warriors, and look, only Cleveland in 2016 was able to do it in the last four years. You have to make them uncomfortable on offense. If they're comfortable on offense and Curry's running off of picks and hitting 30-footers, and now with Kevin Durant and Klay Thompson. I mean, you have three shooters that are three of the best shooters I've ever seen. I've been watching basketball for 45 years. Those three players, you've got to make them uncomfortable. And I think the Celtics have the right anecdote for that, whether it's Marcus Morris or Marcus Smart or even Terry Rozier, players that aren't going to be afraid to get in their grill. The Cleveland Cavaliers didn't have that. The year Cleveland did beat Golden State, J.R. Smith was a better player than he was last year. And also they had a player like Iman Shumpert, who was not afraid to get in you know, the face of Steph Curry or Klay Thompson and get them uncomfortable. If they're comfortable, they're just going to do what they do and what they've done for the last four years. Again, another football analogy. I don't know if you guys are old enough to remember, but I'm going to go back a few years. Uh, when the Patriots beat the Rams in Super Bowl thirty-six. They made those great receivers very uncomfortable. Willie McGinnis with Chip, Marshall Falk, uh, Isaac Bruce, Torrey Holt. The cornerbacks were very physical with them, and it kind of got their entire offense off of rhythm. That's what you have to do against Golden State. If you get into a shooting contest with them or a skills contest with them, you're not going to beat them. But if you get it ugly, uh, get physical with them, even on the perimeter, I think you can beat them. Because uh, even though Cleveland got swept this year, two of those games were very, very close. And if J.R. Smith had just recalled uh, what the score was, maybe Cleveland wins game one, and that's a different series. So I, I'm very high on the Celtics this year. I'm not a green teamer. I'm not someone who just you know picks the Celtics to win the championship without doing the proper research. I think they're going to win the East, and they're going to beat Golden State in the finals this year. And I, and I feel real strongly about that. Through the games this year, we saw with Kyrie healthy, so obviously no Gordon Hayward, but with Kyrie healthy and uh, the rest of the Celtics roster healthy, the defense they played on Golden State uh, there and at home at the Garden. What would you say in a best-of-seven series they would take it to? 
Well, I, I think it could go seven games, and this goes back to the regular season, too, guys, because, look, Golden State took their foot off the gas last year, right? They ended up with 58 wins. If they really pushed it an entire season, they're going to win 65, 70 games, but they now realize that's not the most important thing to do. They were actually the two-seed out west, and they were playing with fire because I think if Chris Paul doesn't get hurt in Game 5 of the Western Conference Finals, you may be seeing the Houston Rockets as the defending world champions. But I think the important part of any matchup with Golden State, and again, we're all ahead of ourselves, but why not? Um, <laughs> it'd be important to have home court advantage against Golden State, and I think the Celtics can do that. The Celtics seem to be a team that really is not afraid to you know, show up every night and play hard, and maybe they get to 60-62 wins, and if Golden State takes their foot off the gas like they did last year. They try to bring in DeMarcus Cousins and see what he can bring to that team. That maybe if the Celtics end up with a better record than Golden State, they have home court advantage, games one and two at the Garden, games six and seven at the Garden. That's a different dynamic for Golden State because only once in this four-year run have they not had home court advantage. And that was against Houston in the Western Conference Finals, and we saw how close that series was. So I think it would be imperative for the Celtics to have home court advantage. And if they do that, then I think they have even a better chance of winning the championship over Golden State. Because I, I don't see anybody out West beating Golden State this time around. I, I see Houston kind of regressing a little bit this year. LeBron, who's worth 15 games to a team, can get the Lakers from 35 to 50, but that's not good enough to beat Golden State in a seven-game series. I think I feel confident with the Golden State Celtics finals. And, and if the Celtics can secure home court advantage, I think they're going to beat them. Yeah, I agree. And we spoke about it before in this podcast where – I'm of the belief that Boogie may be the downfall for the mm-hmm. for the Warriors, chemistry-wise, and being in that locker room, if, do, if him and Draymond don't get on because the personalities are both strong and they like to be the man, then that's sure. going to play a part as well. If chemistry is not there and then you go into somewhere as daunting as the Garden in playoff mode, then that's going to be really difficult for any team. And then if you've got chemistry issues with the expectation to be going for your fourth title, then it's going to be a big issue. Right. It's going to weigh on them, right, guys? I mean, we heard yeah, David West, who, who retired, who was with Golden State for the last two titles, saying, I don't think people realize how difficult it was this year. I, I think at some point, Steve Kerr was not necessarily getting his message across to his best players. We saw Durant in some of the playoff games seemed detached, aloof, distant. Uh, Steph Curry had the injury concerns. You also have Clay Thompson and Draymond Green, who are going to be coming up on new contracts. At some point, you know, they're going to look for their big payday. And there may be a point where Kevin Durant says, look, I want to go to another team and prove that I'm the guy. Because I still look at the Golden State Warriors as Steph Curry's team. I don't know if you guys agree with that. But to me, he's still the driving force on that team. Durant's a slightly better player, but Curry's the driving force. So how long this lasts, we've got, you know, a lot of egos in there, a lot of money to be had. You've got a coach that's going to have to deal with all that. And now you bring in... DeMarcus Cousins, who, you know, can certainly cause some issues. The thing is, the contract is so small that if he's causing problems with that team, they'll cut him and they'll just move on from there. But I do agree. I think Draymond Green and DeMarcus Cousins, who are friends, DeMarcus Cousins and Draymond Green get along well, but like friends, sometimes there's going to be some blowouts. Draymond Green's become like the second-in-command general manager. He's the one who recruited Kevin Durant to go to Golden State a couple of years ago, and he's the guy that was putting the connection together to get DeMarcus Cousins this time around. But I think because of the size of the contract, it's only a one-year deal that they can move on from DeMarcus Cousins if they think he's not working well within that teamwork. But if he does work well and comes back 
December, January and gives you uh, what DeMarcus Cousins can do. That's going to be a scary team. The only problem is I don't know if he, even at his best, fits into that offense. He's ball dominant. He tends to get the ball, hold it, slow down the offense, a la Carmelo Anthony, and that's not how Golden State works. They work best when they're making five, six, seven passes per possession. I don't know if that's part of DeMarcus Cousins' game. So there's going to be a lot to see what he brings on and off the court going forward in Golden State. Yeah, it's definitely high risk, high reward move, but on exactly. both, both sides of the, the table. Sorry, I'm out here in the Bay Area, actually, and you, without a doubt, are correct that it is Steph Curry's team. Like, mm-hmm. if you're watching the home games, Oracle erupts when Steph does yep. his shimmy, hits a three, goes mm-hmm. crazy, and it's just not the same energy for KD. I think that yep. if any of them, he is the one to go. Do you think mm-hmm. that there's any sort of possibility to, say, Clay leaving? maybe LA or no team specifically, but this team is not going to be able to stay together forever. So who's the first domino to fall? Uh, Steph's there for life. All right. I mean, that's his team. If Steph Curry left the Golden State Warriors, I'd be shocked. Um, Durant, he's a hired gun. Um, They win the title this year. Or if they lose in the finals, he may just say, well, I want to go on to my own team. What team would that be? Maybe he decides to go back to Oklahoma city and try to win a title. Russell Westbrook and Paul George, that would be, quite a big three to say the least it would be volatile but it could work uh there's always been reports that he wants that he could go back to washington to play for his hometown team i don't know if that's the case um some reports have been does he go to la and join lebron but let's say let's say kd wins his third title this year it'll equal lebron do you think he wants to go help lebron build his legacy you know so there's there's a lot of factors in place there uh, I could see KD moving on after this year, although he's built a really good base in um, Northern California. You know, he's very tech savvy, and that's the place to be for that, to, to brand himself going beyond just the playing days. Uh, Clay Thompson, I think, is the one player in this league that could fit in anywhere, right? I mean, you put Clay Thompson on Philadelphia, maybe they're the favorites in the Eastern Conference. You put Clay Thompson on the Lakers, maybe the Lakers become. Uh, co-favorites with Golden State in the Western Conference because his game translates very well. He's a great shooter, excellent defender, and he's not a needy player. You know, he can go out there and get you 19, 20, 21 points per game, and he's happy to do that. So Clay Thompson going elsewhere, that's a possibility. Uh, Draymond Green may be saying, I want to go elsewhere, or maybe they're just able to work this all out and the four of them say, look, we can build five, six, seven championships here. Uh, and Draymond understanding that he's best playing on a team like Golden State. I don't think Draymond Green, as much as I love his game, goes to a team, becomes the number one guy, and that team becomes a title contender. I don't think it works that way. And I think Clay Thompson is best served as the second or third best player on a team. So, you know, we'll have to see what happens there. It, it wouldn't work well with Clay Thompson going to, like, uh, pick the worst team in the league and expect him to carry that team to a championship. He's not that type of player. So you feel, you feel fairly comfortable saying that it's going to be a generally a cakewalk for the Warriors and Celtics to be meeting in the finals. I wouldn't say necessarily a cakewalk. Again, the regular season will mean a lot. The Celtics can secure home court advantage in the Eastern conference and throughout the entire league. I'd love the chances in the Eastern conference. I think you still have two teams that you're going to have to, keep both eyes on. One, obviously, is Toronto with Kawhi Leonard. If Kawhi's playing like he did in San Antonio for most of his career, there's an elite player. I think Philadelphia is going to be a load to deal with. I'm a big Ben Simmons fan. I know he can't shoot. He does everything extremely well. Other than that, Joel Embiid, one of the most unstoppable forces in this league. And we're going to have to see what happens uh, with Markel Fultz in year two. Yeah, uh, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't sell him short yet. Um, so, 
the way it could play out, guys, is if you got Toronto and Philadelphia meeting in the second round of the playoffs and the Celtics playing Milwaukee or Washington or Indiana, the Celtics, I think, get a cakewalk to the Eastern Conference Finals, and then they would play a team like Toronto or Philadelphia that maybe plays a seven-game series getting to the Conference Finals, and I think the Celtics would be able to beat any of those teams. Again, a lot of this has to do with health of Kyrie Irving, Gordon Hayward, and the growth of Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and how that all works out. But I feel very confident the Celtics are going to get there. And look, I, I just I can't make a plausible case for anybody beating Golden State in the West. Houston had their opportunity last year, and they just weren't able to finish it off unless Toronto decides to move Kawhi Leonard at the deadline because they don't think they can re-sign him to L.A. As great as LeBron is, I don't think he can carry that group past Golden State. Um, and OKC is is obviously a, a contending team, but I, Russell Westbrook does have a, a tendency to self-destruct in, in some big moments, some big games. So I, I would say right now I feel very confident it's going to be Celtics and Golden State in the finals. It, just like we felt very confident the last four years that it was going to be Cleveland and Golden State in the finals. So not much changes yeah. in the NBA, and that, that's kind of one problem with the league, that there's not a lot of surprises. Yeah, well, like you said, if last year, if Chris Paul doesn't go down, it's very likely we're talking about mm-hmm. Houston being the defending champions. Do you think you think they got that much worse by losing Ariza and adding Melo? Is that kind of a negative in adding Carmelo? Yeah, I think it could be. I mean, Carmelo didn't really – Oklahoma City last year in the postseason, he became a negative rather than positive. Uh, is an outstanding defender. Um, I, I also think Ariza would bring some toughness to that team, which uh, PJ Tucker is actually kind of the muscle of that team, and he's only six foot five. Uh, so I, I think losing Ariza hurts that team. And then Carmelo, look, it, it could work out splendidly, but can you just picture in certain situations late in the game, Chris Paul's ball dominant, James Harden's ball dominant. We know Carmelo Anthony's ball dominant, and there's only one basketball, so I don't know how that works. Carmelo didn't like playing uh, for Mike D'Antoni. With the Knicks, I don't know how that's going to change four, five, six years later. I still think they're talented enough to be, say, the number two seed. But you look at the Western Conference, and I think I think the East is getting better, and the West maybe not as strong as it's been the last few years. I, I pose this question to people. Who was the three seed in the Western Conference last year? And People throw out all these different <laughs> teams, and they're never right. It was the Portland Trailblazers, right, with yeah, the number three barely. seed? In the Western Conference, right, with 49 wins, I mean, three to seven was separated by, what, two games? So you've got a huge, you know, group of teams that are good, not great. Um, so I think the Lakers could make that step up to maybe being the two or the three seed. But I, I, LeBron couldn't beat Golden State in a series with what he had in Cleveland. I, I think he's got better pieces in L.A., but a lot of really, really odd pieces, right? I mean, you've got a lot of young players yeah. and you've got salty veterans uh, that I don't know how that's all going to match up. In the East uh, and in the West, there's a very, like you said before, there's a difference between the the team's quality. You have Mm -hmm. the Golden State Warriors, the Rockets, like you said, the Trailblazers. um, That was the top three teams. And then there was like this um, really close uh, one to two to three game differential between the like the next six positions right. on the leaderboard. For the East, it was kind of different. Um, how important is the regular season to the playoffs? Like with these, uh, with these records, like being in play. There were a lot of teams well, last year that were really close, but like you said, the Trailblazers—they were number three, and not a lot of people could have guessed that. Right, and they got swept by the number six 
uh, New Orleans Pelicans because they had Anthony Davis and Rondo playing at a high level. Shocking that New Orleans beat Portland. Um, you know, San Antonio was in there, but they weren't going to beat Golden State with no Kawhi Leonard and, and you know several old players. And, and maybe they take a step up because at least Demar Derozan's not Kawhi Leonard, but Demar Rosen's is better than no Kawhi Leonard. Um, so maybe they step up a little bit. But I, I think when you look at, at seeding, it's all about matchups, right? I mean, you know, Cleveland early uh, in the playoffs last year had a tough seven-game series with Indiana, and that didn't surprise me because Indiana matched up well with them. And Cleveland was the four seed and Indiana was the five seed. Not a classic four or five seed because you don't normally see LeBron James on a four seed, but, you know, that, that team had a lot of problems last year, you know, losing Kyrie Irving in the offseason with the trade, you know, health concerns with Kevin Love, et cetera, and Isaiah Thomas never fitting in and then being traded. But I, I think it is important, um, you know, who you face, when you face them, and also the fact that if you're the higher seed, you have home court advantage. And I know the Celtics had game seven against Cleveland last year in the Eastern Conference Finals, but it is against LeBron James. It's, it, he's the one player that can kind of take that advantage away from you. Um, so out West, you would just assume that Golden State and Houston will be the top two seeds. And then from there, it, it's wide open. I don't look at anybody out West that can really beat Golden State other than Houston. And I think they had their tr- shot last year. So, um, you know, they'll all be fighting to maybe win a round or two. But in the end, it'll be Golden State. In the East, I think it's important for the Celtics to get home court advantage so that you're home for game seven against Toronto or Philly in the conference finals and that you don't have to beat both of those teams to get to the finals. You don't really want to have to beat Philly in round two, Toronto in the conference finals, and then face Golden State in the finals. That, that's a lot to ask. Uh, try to make it as easy as possible without expending all of your energy until you get to the finals. Okay, so just I want to um, change it up a little bit here. So what I've done is I've wrote down a few words and I'm going to read them out. I'll just And then what I want you to do is kind of quick fire answer back at me. Um, okay. Celtics related, you've said you've been watching for 45 years. It would be nice to get a take. And then we'll just flow from, see what goes on from there. So the first one I've got for you is overrated. Overrated? Um, I, I don't think the Celtics are overrated at this point. I think nationally they may be under, but overrated in terms of the Celtics. Um, pick a player that might be overrated right yeah, now. Anyone okay. from any era? Oh, from any era. That's a that's a great one. Boy, that's going to take a, a while. The um, <laughs> Bill Russell's underrated. How's that? I mean, that I, I think people forget point. how great he was. Uh, as far as overrated from the Celtics. Man, you know, the, the funny thing is, and not to get verbose here, but the, the, when you look at the all-time great players, the Lakers have more all-time great players than the Celtics. You know, cause it seems like everybody at some point ends up playing for the Lakers, whether it's Chamberlain or Jabbar or Shaq, and now it's LeBron, obviously, and all of that. Overrated Celtic player. Hmm. That's a good question. I, you know what? I, and again, I'm not a green team. I'm just trying to think. Uh, Antoine Walker. How's that sound? Antoine Walker, because I always thought that he was someone that the fans loved, the media loved, and look, he was a really good player. But I, I think he was misguided in the way he played. He wanted to be more of a point guard. He wanted to be more of a perimeter player when I thought he was a very good low post player. I'd say Antoine Walker could have had a better career here. So I'll say Antoine Walker overrated. And you're going with uh, Bill Russell as underrated, yeah? Absolutely, because every time I see these top 20 lists, you know, and, and you're on people on Twitter, especially folks that are 30 that, you know, I, I think only think that the sport started 15 years ago. Uh, <laughs> Bill Russell, to me, is the second greatest player of all time behind Michael Jordan. You know, the 11 championships in 13 years. 
He won two in college. He won a gold medal. Uh, Bill Russell had 16 opportunities to win a championship, and he won 14. And in one of those, he was out game seven with an ankle injury. So he's the ultimate winner. Uh, he also averaged 17 points per game. People forget that he could score. He was a great rebounder, defender, also averaged five assists a game. So I think he's, without question, underrated. It, not just in Celtic history, but NBA history. When I see him left off the top 10, I become infuriated because if it's about <laughs> championships, that guy's the ultimate winner in any sport. Yeah. Okay, the next one is bust. Bust. Yeah. I'm going to have to say something that, you know, may he rest in peace, but Lenny Bias. Uh, the, the Celtics drafted Lenny Bias with the second pick in 1986. And they were coming off a championship year. They won the championship a few days later. They draft Lenny Bias. Interesting story because at that time I was freelancing covering the Celtics for ESPN. And I remember being on a booze cruise. Again, you know, I'm old, but I was young at one point. So we're on a booze <laughs> cruise a couple days after the championship. Come home that night. I, you know, obviously too much to drink. The phone rang the next morning uh, from the assignment editor at ESPN and, and said that, you know, you got to get to the garden. And this is, you know, before email and texting and cell phones in general, uh, you know, the, the hard line rang and said, you got to get to the garden and bias passed away. I'm like, is this a dream? Am I really that drunk? I mean, what, what's going on here? And, and I, I would say that that's it because he was going to be the guy that carried that franchise for the next decade. Um, who knows what could have happened in the late eighties, early nineties with Len Bias being a great player. Um, I mean, some people think that he was going to be the next Michael Jordan. I don't think that was the case, but he would have been, Certainly on par, I would say James Worthy or Dominique Wilkins, he would have given the Celtics a player of that caliber. So I, I would say that Lenny Bias bust, uh, and again, may he rest in peace, but you know, he did make the right choice, and that's unfortunate, obviously, for him and his family. Yeah, fair enough. Okay, the next one is surprise. Surprise. Isaiah Thomas. I mean, when Isaiah Thomas came here, he looked like a guy that would come off the bench and give you 15 to 17 points. Uh, by his second, third year with the Celtics, he was a top five MVP candidate. I mean, where did you see that coming from? Basketball, you don't really see surprises, right? The guys drafted high, become great players. You know, we, we can discuss right now here in September who's going to be the NBA MVP. It's probably going to be, you know, LeBron or Anthony Davis or throw out a couple other names. You don't normally see surprises in basketball you do in baseball you, you may see someone in baseball win an mvp like dustin pedroia or you know who comes from the clouds and wins it basketball is, is pretty predictable isaiah thomas at that size and i got to meet him he's about five seven if that to be a top five mvp candidate and to average nearly 30 points per game and carry the celtics in the playoffs back in 2017, especially that series against Washington where I put up 53 in overtime. I was at that game. I, I've never heard the garden that loud. Uh, I would say that he's the biggest surprise that, that we've seen with the Celtics in a very, very long time. And I, and I kind of find it interesting now that he's gone and he's, you know, had the injury concerns and he's going to be on his third team since he left here. A lot of the same people that loved Isaiah Thomas and, and really embraced him now kind of belittle him a little bit and I think he's an easy guy to root for when he goes to Denver this year yeah Denver's my second team just because of Isaiah this year <laughs> right <laughs> how do you think that he fares in Denver and kind of the rest of his career I don't think it's a permanent home in Denver uh, at all I think it's a nice one year I, it doesn't even really make too much sense for their roster I don't think uh, right. but yeah how do you think Isaiah's rest of his career plays out for him I think I think he can still be a very 
Good player. I don't know if he'll ever be an all-star again. Uh, don't back up the Brinks truck because that contract's not going to be there. We've seen the, you know, the strings, the uh, purse strings tight a little bit in the NBA because the salary cap hasn't gone quite up as much as we expected it to. So, you know, thinking of a five-year, $150 million contract that Isaiah Thomas was going to get, that's not going to happen. And again, when, when you're 5'7", and now you've had injury concerns and also concerns of how he fits into a team, you know, that's going to be a problem. But I, I think he can get another contract where, you know, maybe he's in the 8 to $10 million range uh, per year for three or four years or five years and, and still obviously have a comfortable living. Um, it just he has to be in the right fit. And again, it just shows you what a great coach that Brad Stevens is. He just takes players that were good players elsewhere and turns them into all-stars and MVP candidates. That's the ultimate uh, respect that you have for Brad Stevens as a coach. He, he just makes players better, puts them in a better position to win. But I think he can still have a, a good final act of his career. He's approaching 30. He's had those injury concerns. Um, he's just going to have to get on, on the right team. He, he's best suited as someone coming off the bench to play 26, 28 minutes, uh, be a volume scorer, and, and, and you know be a, a difference maker in the fourth quarter. But he's got to be on that right team to be a contributor like that. Okay. Next one is Legend. It's Larry, right? Larry Legend. Larry Bird. <laughs> yeah, um, you can't argue that. That's a loaded easy, question. Right? Yeah, I think he's the second greatest Celtic of all time. And in, in my top 10 in the history of the NBA, I have him number seven. And I think sometimes he's forgotten because the, the last image you have of Larry Bird is late in his career, dealing with back woes, playing on the Olympic team when, you know, Magic and Michael Jordan and Barkley and those guys were still playing at a very high level. And, and, and Larry Bird was just along for the ride. You remember the uh, shots of him just laying on his stomach because his back was so bad. But I'll tell you, his first eight years in the league, my God, I got to see him so often. Uh, a guy who could put up 30 on a given night could also grab you 15 rebounds, 10 assists. Um, you know, I, I think he and LeBron are the two best forwards in the history of the sport. Uh, and they're more alike than people want to realize. Both incredible passers. I think Larry, LeBron, and Magic are probably the three greatest uh, players in league history in terms of their basketball IQ. They just see everything before everyone else. Uh, but the injury concerns, uh, you know, were there for Larry Bird, kind of, you know, shortened his career. Late in his career, wasn't quite the same player. But, uh, man, he was spectacular. He really was. I mean, he could shoot from the outside. If there was a three-point shot that was more prevalent then than it is now, Lord knows what he put would have put up because he didn't shoot a lot of threes except in big moments and he'd hit them. But if he was playing in today's NBA where, you know, shooters like that take four, five, six threes a game, my Lord, God knows, God knows oh, yeah. what he would have put up. He, he was that great. Did you ever get to meet Larry? Sure. Yeah. I was, like I said, in the 80s, I covered uh, the Celtics for ESPN. I was at basically every home game. And he was very easy to deal with. I mean, the, the locker room would be closed. Uh, they'd open it up about 15 minutes after the game. And Larry Bird, you know, he would come out about 15 minutes after that, fully clothed. He'd kind of like, you know, decompress, compose himself. And he would sit on a table right in the middle of the Celtics locker room. Again, the, the media was different back then. It was it was mostly writers, some TV, radio, you know, and bloggers. You didn't have uh, as much control as the teams have now. And he would just sit there for 15, 20 minutes and he'd answer your questions. Um, and he was, he was great to deal with. He really was. Uh, win or lose, he always made himself available. Um, he was honest. He was smart, smarter than people think. I think he has that kind of aw shucks Midwest 
vibe to him, but very smart guy. Uh, no, he, he was a joy to, to deal with. And again, it was a different time in the 80s because, you know, we got to sit right at the end line. I mean, I, I sat under the basket. Now the media doesn't sit there. They're up on the ninth floor where I think it's almost impossible to really see the game. But back then they put us right on the court. Um, the, you know, you had access to the players before the game. You could go to practice to interview them. And after the game, they, they were made available. And it, they weren't brought into an interview room. And after four questions, uh, you know, some PR person would say, last question. That didn't happen back then. You know, you, you'd have pretty good access to those players. And, and he, was, uh, he was very easy to, to deal with. That's awesome. I envy you for being able to sit down with Larry Bird. Yeah, yeah no, it was great. I mean, I think I had some picture taken at one point. I was at media day. I think it been like 19. 19- 83 and someone took a picture and they put it in a newspaper i don't know where it is i mean we're talking 35 years ago and you know birds 610 and i'm 59 and i'm holding the microphone stretching up there and the you know picture's kind of comical <laughs> to see how much taller he is but uh yeah you could even do one-on-ones with him back then but the, the media was completely different there wasn't as much of it as there is now and and you know you could do one on ones. Now you can't even do one on ones because everyone else thinks you're scooping them, and they come over and stick their mics in or or start to listen in. So it it can be kind of frustrating. I don't do as much as I used to. When you do talk radio, you, you sometimes want to avoid going to games because you may say things that you know upset people. But I'll, I'll go in and, and do some Celtics and Bruins stuff, uh, especially hockey. Even though it's my fourth favorite of the four major sports. Dealing with hockey players is the easiest thing to do. It really is. I mean, they're the best athletes to deal with. But, um, yeah, no, it was it was fun covering the Celtics in the 80s. Man, the characters, um, Cedric Maxwell, Robert Parrish, Kevin McHale, Danny Ainge. I, I got fairly friendly with Dennis Johnson. May he rest in peace. was a great player. And, and, again, very accessible. Casey Jones, one of the nicest men I've ever met. Uh, and a, an outstanding coach, won two championships. And Bill Fitch, you know, he could be prickly, but he was always a good interview as well. He was Having access to those guys in the 80s was, was a lot of fun. Do you have any uh, memorable stories from those interactions that stand out above the others? Um, I, just being in the locker room when they won the championship, it was in 1984 and 86 that they won it at home. And 84 was just, that's still probably the greatest final series that I've ever seen. Lakers and Celtics, both at their apex, I mean, on a given night, you'd have eight Hall of Famers on a court at the same time. Uh, and just the incredible just relief and, and exhaustion um, that they had to go through to beat the Lakers in that finals. Uh, just being in the locker room and seeing the players celebrate was just phenomenal. In 86, it was a fait accompli. I mean, they were clearly the best team in basketball that, that year. They beat the Rockets in six games. And, and I remember going to the shoot-around on Saturday, the practice on Saturday before the Sunday game, and the Celtics, at that point, were three games to two, game six. And if we needed game seven, we're going to be at TD Garden. And I left the practice on Saturday saying, there's no way they're not going to win this game by like 20. They just had their game faces on a day before. And they were so much better than any other team in basketball. It's kind of like the 85 Bears, you know, just steamrolled through the league that year. You had the same feeling with the Celtics. And, you know, game six at the Garden was a blowout. And, and they won their uh, 16th championship. So, you could just tell after practice the day before the Rockets have no chance. Yeah. I could only dream of being in a locker room after a finals championship. That sounds like an amazing time. Yeah. Uh, no, I mean, we were kind of spoiled with that because, you know, you guys are, are obviously younger than me. And, but, you know, if, if you're 30, 35, you grew up the last half of your life just expecting Boston teams to win championships, right? I mean, you know, the Patriots with five, the Red Sox with three, the Bruins and Celtics each with one. When I was growing up, 
as a young guy, the Bruins won a couple cups, and then the Celtics won, and the Patriots and Red Sox broke our hearts. Uh, so the Celtics were always the team that you said, oh, they're just going to win a championship. You know, they're going to take care of business. Um, and, and they did. They, they did lose two finals against the Lakers in the 80s. That's why that rivalry was so amazing. I mean, those games and those series could change on one or two possessions. But, uh, yeah, it was a very, very interesting time. That's the one time in this city where basketball was king. You know, it, for a long period of time, it was hockey. Uh, baseball became obviously huge after 1967. The Patriots are enormous. They have been for the last 15, nearly 20 years. But I'd say from 81 to 88 that the Celtics were kings in this city. Um, they had great players. They went to the finals. It felt like every year they won three championships. And, and you had, uh, you know, at that point, there was a four or five-year stretch where it was either Larry Bird or Magic Johnson or Michael Jordan being the best player in basketball. That was the debate for nearly a decade and uh, not to mention all those other great players. So that, that was the one time it was really king for a little bit uh, in 07, 08, when you had the big three of Garnett, Pierce, and Allen. But at that point, the Red Sox were still huge because they had just won a, a World Series in October of 07, and the Patriots were on their way to an undefeated regular season. So, you know, the Celtics were in competition with other teams in that town, but in the 80s, it was the Celtics. Yeah. All right, so next uh, word we got for you in this little game here is Nightmare. Nightmare. I'd probably go back to Len Bias. I mean, I, I mean that. It's, it, can we use the same player in two different parts of this? Because uh, that's a nightmare. I mean, because he just <laughs> yeah, if, if he had not done what he did, what could have happened with that franchise? You know, going forward, um, I, I think you know. I don't know if they would have won another title because the Lakers were really good in the late '80s. But just that whole that whole experience. You know, it, it's one thing if a player blows out his knee. I mean, Sam Bowie was drafted before Michael Jordan in 1984, right? It didn't have much of a career because he had injuries. That's one thing. But when someone dies at that young age, it is a nightmare. Um, other nightmare scenarios that, that you could look at, I think if you're a Celtics fan, it, it didn't bother me. In fact, I loved it. But a nightmare was seeing Ray Allen helping LeBron James win a championship, right? I mean, you guys are Celtics guys, so that had to feel like a nightmare seeing Ray Allen hit arguably the biggest three-pointer in finals history and helping LeBron win his second championship. I love as a LeBron guy, but I think as a Celtic fan, you would find that to be a nightmare. Yeah, that hurt. That hurt very bad. <laughs> yeah, I would think so. I loved it. That, that helped my guy win his second title. But uh, yeah, Celtic fans were not rooting for LeBron and Ray Allen in the 2013 finals. They were certainly rooting for the San Antonio Spurs. So I'd say that was probably a nightmare. I mean, for the most part, this organization... Um, you know, when you win 17 championships, you do a lot of things right. I mean, there's been a drought there. I know they've won one in 32 years, but, uh, you know, they've always been able to reinvent themselves. Uh, they have solid ownership now for the last 15 years, and they've got a great general manager, Danny Ainge, and a great coach, and Brad Stevens. I mean, you can talk about coach, executive, and owner. The Celtics are right at the top in the NBA, and, and quite frankly, in, in all of professional sports. All right, so the next word we have for you, I'm going to send you this one, is hot take. Hot take? Yes. Kyrie Irving and Jimmy Butler end up with the New York Knicks after this oh, year. Oh, no. <laughs> that would be a nightmare, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and now the Knicks would be a factor, right? You get Kyrie, Jimmy Butler, and Porzingis, if he's ever healthy. That would be a pretty good big three. I just think Kyrie's a different type of cat, right? I just could see him getting tired of a situation and look if the Celtics win the championship and you know Kyrie goes on and win the finals MVP 
that'd be great. But then there's also going to be people talking about, well, Jason Tatum's a great young player and Gordon Hayward's an all-star and the coach is the big star. I mean, through the playoffs last year, I can't remember the last time that the biggest star on a team was the head coach in the NBA, right? Brad Stevens was the big story as the Celtics surprised people getting to the conference finals. I could see Kyrie saying, I want to play in New York. He's, he looks at himself as a worldly guy. Uh, he ultimately wants his team. He wasn't going to get it in Cleveland. When it was his team, they were the worst team in basketball until LeBron showed up. Uh, he was never going to be the guy in Cleveland as long as LeBron was there. And here, he does feel like the guy, but he's kind of got a lot of co-stars. With New York, we know that Jimmy Butler is really close with him, and I think those two guys as a backcourt with Porzingis as the big, you know, could be quite interesting. And um, th that's my hot take, that Kyrie and Jimmy Butler end up with the Knicks next year. The only thing I've got to say about that is one word, and that's Dolan. <laughs> he will that's find true. a way to that's ruin true. that team. Yeah, I mean, you know, they'd go sign the contract and Dolan would give him a pen and invisible ink or something <laughs> totally stupid. I mean, he could screw up a free sandwich, a free lunch. I mean, he's they may be the worst ownership in all of sports because, I mean, there's other teams that have dysfunctional owners. This is the New York Knicks. I mean, they're the most valuable franchise in the NBA and they can't get it right. I mean, they play in the greatest city in the world in a great arena you know, we think players want to go there and they can't do anything right. They, you know, bring in Phil Jackson to run basketball. He's clearly, you know, past his prime. And oh, by the way, it's a lot easier when you got Jordan, Pippen, Kobe, and Shaq as your players. You know, I could coach some of those guys. Uh, they've never done anything right. So, yeah, you may be right that James Dolan will screw this up. And, you know, there were rumors out there that maybe he's looking to sell. Man, if he sells the Rangers, the Knicks, Madison Square Garden, uh, MSG Network. I mean, he could get back, Lord knows, eight, nine billion dollars if, if he's interested in that, uh, which I think we'd all be worth, uh, interested in eight, nine billion dollars. Yeah. But again, he's got a lot of money already and looks at this as a, an ego, um, thing owning the Knicks. But yeah, they, I root for the Knicks to be good because I think it's better for the league if the Knicks and the 76ers and the Celtics and Bulls are all good. It just makes it fun. Uh, but, you know, Kyrie could surprise us. I mean, if, if the Celtics can sit down and, and hammer out an extension, that's going to be interesting. But you got Marcus Smart. They gave him a long-term contract. I think Danny Ainge is doing that. Not that Marcus Smart's Kyrie Irving, but just as an insurance policy in case Kyrie Irving decides to leave after this year. And just to, just to defend Phil Jackson a tiny little bit, he did find Paul Zingas. He was the guy to draft yes. him, to take all the shit from all the fans. And he was right, dude. Like, uh, the Zen Master struck again. That was his one good act as GM. Yeah, because Porzingis was drafted fifth fifth overall. I mean, that, that yeah, was a Yeah, he got a, booed a all the way through. I remember that. Yeah, he got some shit. Uh, everyone stick. Do you remember? Uh, there's a video on YouTube. It's got, like, 10 million Jim hits. Craig. Yeah, and then there's, like, Stephen A going nuts. Like, who's this guy? What is he doing? <laughs> and then, like, six months later, he's like, the guy's a genius. Look at him. Right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> to be fair. Yeah. To be fair, you could find a Stephen A. Smith video of him screaming over any news that happens in the NBA, contradicting Absolutely. himself in every way. Oh, I love Stephen A. I think he's so talented. Oh, he's so talented. Uh, although it's kind of weird, his relationship now with LeBron, he and LeBron were really close, and it doesn't seem like they are anymore. Um, you know, he was always pushing back now all throughout the finals that, you know, don't even have the discussion. 
that LeBron's even in the, you know, close to Michael Jordan, which I think is, is ludicrous. I think the discussion is there. But, uh, no, I love Stephen A. He, he's great. I enjoy watching him. Um, you know, this is all entertainment, guys, right? I mean, yeah. we're not solving the world's crisis. And the idea is to entertain, have fun. And, and Stephen A does a great job of that. And I, and I even like the guys on Fox Sports 1. I'm, I'm uh, big fans of those shows as well. I know them, but uh, even though Skip Bayless hates my two favorite athletes, LeBron James and Aaron Rodgers, I, I still find him entertaining. <laughs> Skip gets nothing but hate, dude. He loves it. He loves it. He absolutely loves it. And you know what? Six million bucks a year, I'd take the hate too. I mean, we yeah. say all the time in the group chat, bad comments are still publicity. There's still people, there's still clicks, there's still views on whatever you're saying or writing. So, absolutely. I mean, I'm, I'm an Aaron guy. So, you know, throughout the football season, I'm the one saying, you know, it's tough to argue that Rodgers is better than Brady, but here's why I think he is. And, of course, I'm in the minority, but that's that's, you know, fun. I'm not saying that. And you're based in the middle of Boston where you're going to get a lot of shit. Oh, absolutely. But my first column at the Boston Herald was uh, four years ago. I wrote a column, LeBron James is greater than Larry Bird. And, of course, everybody was all upset about that. I think it's pretty much accepted now that LeBron James is greater than Larry Bird. doesn't mean I don't think Larry Bird's great. Like I said, I think he's the seventh greatest player ever. I just think LeBron's the third best player ever and can do more than Larry Bird. But, yeah, when you have contrarian takes, uh, you're going to catch some heat. And uh, but that's fine. It, it's fine. I, I I'm passive aggressive with it. I, I never get heated about it because I just kind of find it comical. You know, ninety nine percent of the world couldn't care less what we're talking about, but we we have fun doing it. Yeah, and that's the best thing. I mean, if people are listening, then great. If they're not, then we're still having fun. Right. Exactly. And talking of that, um, we're coming towards the end of the podcast now. So I'd like to say thank you for coming on, Sap. And we'd definitely like to have you on again if you're ever interested towards the Anytime, fellas. I enjoyed this. The time flew by. And, and it's always fun talking basketball uh, as we're about a month away from the regular season. Just before we wrap up, I'd like to send out some uh, our thoughts to anyone affected by Hurricane Florence. Stay safe. Mm-hmm. Get away from anywhere that's flooding. And obviously, if you can't get away, then barricade down and wait for help. Exactly. And that brings us to the end guys so thanks for listening we'll be back again next week you can catch us on iTunes Spotify or on the website and peace out